All right, how we doing, Elevate? We're doing good? Yeah. Hey, look at the person sitting next to you and tell them it's beginning to feel a little like Christmas, right? Yep. It's getting cold out there, so tell them they got a little less than two months to get you something nice. They need to be saving, all right? Christmas is right around the corner. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church. I'm glad that you are joining us. We're starting a brand new series today called Motion. Everybody say Motion. Motion. And I'm excited uh, about this message. I'm excited about this series. I, I, I really am. And so I, I don't know what, uh, what you think about when you hear that word motion, but for me, I think of Domino's. I, I really do. And, and I don't mean Domino's pizza. Uh, it is kind of getting close to lunch, especially since we just kind of fast forward in an hour. So really it's like 1230 right now. So we're all hungry. Uh, but again, I'm not talking about Domino's uh, pizza. I'm talking about regular Domino's. How many of y'all, when you were a kid, maybe you've even seen a video or something like that, but when you were kids, you would take some Domino's and you would set those Domino's up and hopefully you spaced those Domino's in such a way that where when you pushed one Domino down, it would hit the next Domino, that Domino would hit the next Domino, that Domino would hit the next Domino, and hopefully all the Domino's w- would fall down. Anybody, anybody ever do something like that? Yeah. Uh, this past week, I stumbled across a video uh, on the internet of them stacking up or standing up 10,000 iPhones, 10,000 iPhones, and making them fall over. I got the video. I was going to let you all watch it. Check it out. That's amazing, right? How many are like, I wish I could do something like that, right? That's amazing, man. I watched that video and I had several questions kind of pop into my mind, though. You know what I mean? How in the world did they afford 10,000 iPhones, right? What kind of work are they doing? They stacking that paper, you know what I'm saying? But again, how in the world how in the world they have that much money? If this was a work project, you know what I'm saying, where they did this at work, wouldn't that be fun? Like a work project? But when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, man, who was the guy who got the calculator out and calculated exactly how many phones they needed and how much distance they needed to be placed, especially in that elevator where it's going from one floor to the next so that when that door did open, it hit it just the right amount of time. I mean, I'm not that smart. If I was involved in that project right there, I would have been like, I can help you all set them up. That's all I would have been able to do. But then what if you do that, you know, and somebody's walking down the hall and they walk too hard and one of them accidentally falls, you know what I'm saying, and messes up everything, you know what I mean? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be crazy? Again, when I hear the word motion, I think about something like that. I think about pushing that one domino 
and it's starting. It's starting a domino effect. Well, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at the words of Jesus. We're going to look at the words of Jesus to hopefully set some things in motion in our life. We're going to look at the teachings of Jesus in an effort to set some amazing things in motion in our life. And today what I want to talk to you about is setting a miracle in motion, setting a miracle in motion. How many of you would like to have a miracle? You'd like to have a miracle, right? Uh, my wife, when she married me, she got a miracle. Yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm just kidding. But again, all of us, man, we'd like to have a miracle. Maybe you're here today and there's a situation in your life that seems impossible and you really want God to come through. You really want God to do something amazing. You need a miracle. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that is just so so messed up and it seems like it's going to take a miracle for that thing to be put back together. It could be a financial blessing that you need. You need a financial miracle. You might need a miracle for your kid. It could be a miracle for all sorts of things, but I can't help but think that a lot of people in this room, we need a miracle. We really do. And so how do we set a miracle in motion. Well, to talk about it, we're going to look at a passage that is in John chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, and as you're turning there, let me kind of give you a little bit of a background. Uh, we're going to talk about the feeding of the multitude, the miracle where Jesus feeds the multitude. And this really is an amazing miracle. It's, it's the one miracle that is actually in all four Gospels. Matthew talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Mark talked about the feeding of the 5,000. John uh, talked about it. Luke talked about it twice. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talked uh, about it. And so what is it about this story or about this miracle that is so important that all the Gospel writers felt like they needed to include it when they were talking about the life and work of Jesus Christ. What is it about this miracle that they really want us to under, understand? Well, first off, you need to understand a few things about a miracle. This isn't a message, but if you want to write them down, this will help you out. There are two things we need to understand uh, about a miracle in, in the first place. First, miracles are an expression of God's love and grace. They're an expression of God's love and, and grace, uh, especially when it comes to the person who is receiving the miracle. God performs miracles because he is a loving God and a compassionate God. But the second thing that we need to understand about miracles is that every time Jesus performs a miracle in the scripture, every time he performs a miracle, period, what he is doing is he is making a statement about who he is. That's what he's doing. When he performs a miracle, he is expressing his authority. So when Jesus causes the blind to see, he is saying, I have authority over blindness. When Jesus causes a paralyzed man to, to walk, what he is actually doing is he is saying, I have authority over the human body. Uh, when I tell the body to do something, Jesus says, hey, the body is going to do it. When Jesus actually uh, calms the storm and he calms the wind, what Jesus is basically saying is that I have authority over creation. Creation has to listen to Jesus. When Jesus raises Lazarus, when he raises anybody from the dead, what he is saying is, I have power and authority over death. Again, he's, he performs miracles to express something about who he is. So in John chapter 6, when he performs this miracle where he feeds the multitude, when he feeds the multitude, what is it 
that he is trying to express about his authority? What is it that Jesus is trying to tell us about himself? Why in the world did all four writers think to include this specific miracle? What is it they want us to understand? See, I don't think the purpose of this miracle was to teach us how much bread Jesus can make. I don't. I don't. I don't think the purpose of this miracle was Jesus expressing his authority over carbohydrates. I, I, I really. I really don't. Although it would be awesome if Jesus, you know, would express some authority uh, over carbohydrates. How many of y'all like bread? You like pizza and stuff like that? Yeah, man. Wouldn't it be amazing if once you become a follower of Jesus, he just he just said, "Hey, I'm gonna bless those carbs. They're never gonna make you gain weight." Amen. In the name of Jesus, no carb will prosper against you. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's, but that's not why Jesus performs this miracle. So what is it again? What is it again about this miracle? See, Jesus is actually saying that he has authority over something much, much more significant than just bread. So let's look at this passage and let's see what's going on. John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 5, and the Bible says this, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, let me stop for just a second and tell you what's going on here. Jesus has been walking for several days. A crowd of people has been following Jesus for several days. He's been teaching them. And as he's been teaching the crowds, they've been going further and further out into the wilderness. They've been going further and further out into a deserted place. They get so far out that the disciples are beginning to wonder, wonder where in the world is Jesus taking us, Right? They get so far out in the wilderness. They're so far out, there's not even a Walmart there, okay, folks? They are so far out. If you can believe this, they're so far out, there's not even a Dollar General there. I mean, they're way out there, and Jesus asked them, hey, how are we going to get enough bread to feed these people? Okay, and then look at, look at, look at verse 6. The Bible says this, He asked this only to test them, for He already knew or he already had in mind what he was going to do. Again, again, let me, let me stop for just a second. Because do you know what the purpose of this church is? Do you know what the purpose of your life is? Do you know what your purpose is? Your purpose is to find what Jesus wants to do and get behind that. Your purpose, my purpose, is to find what it is that Jesus wants to do and follow that Jesus already knows what he's going to do with your life. Jesus already knows what he's going to do with my life. Jesus already knows what he's going to do with this church. Our purpose is to get behind what he wants to do and do that. Think about this. When Jesus asked, man, where, where are we going to get food? What are we going to do? Jesus wasn't freaking out. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking, man, if all these people starve to death, it's going to make me really look bad on social media. People are going to leave all sorts of negative reviews and comments on my Facebook post. It's not going to be good. Jesus wasn't freaking out. He already knew what he was going to do, and he already knows what he's going to do in your life and in my life. Again, our mission is to find out what that is, get behind it, and follow it. Look at verse 7. The Bible says this, Philip answered him. And let me go ahead and just tell you guys that Philip was like the analyst. Philip is the smart guy. Philip, Philip was like the engineer uh, right here. Because look at, what, look at what Philip said. He actually would have been the, the same guy that would have calculated exactly how much distance needed to be between those phones and the square footage and the tilt of the axis on the earth or whatever. I don't even know what they were doing. But again, it took some major calculations. And so Jesus, that's, what, that's who Philip is. Look at what he says. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, sir. Philip, 
I mean, he breaks out an Excel sheet. He's like, look here, Jesus. What do you mean? Where are we going to get enough bread to feed these people? A whole half year's wages wouldn't even be enough for each person to get one bite. We're not going to be able to do this, Jesus. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever figured this out about yourself and about myself? We're really good at figuring out why things can't happen and why things won't happen. You ever realize that about yourself? I remember when I first said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a preacher. I'm going to be a pastor. I had several people who tell me, you can't do that. You can't do that. You don't know enough of your Bible. And at the time, I really didn't. I was still reading a children's picture Bible when I was 15. I, I, I didn't know any of the Bible stories. They said, man, man, you, you, you can't do that. You don't have enough Christian experience. Yeah, you can't do it. Good luck with that. We're really good, again, at telling people why things can't happen and why things won't happen. Why are we like that? It's because that's our default, our default setting. It really is. We're, we're just, it can't work. It won't work. We, we just don't believe that the impossible really is possible. But look at verse 8. The Bible says this, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? This is Andrew. And you know what Andrew's doing right here? Andrew's being sarcastic with Jesus. He's being sarcastic with God. And let me give you a little theological advice. Never be sarcastic with Jesus. Don't do it. Do not do it. Andrew's like, hey, man, here's a little boy who's got a Happy Meal. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And, and I can imagine Jesus looking at that little boy, motioning him to come to him. Now, this boy, uh, I, I don't know why, but for some reason, I think this little boy was a chubby kid. I don't mean that in, in a bad way. I don't. But I want you to think about this. All these people have been following Jesus for days. He's the only one who was smart enough to pack an extra lunch. Right? I'm like that. If I'm going in the woods, you know what I do? See, deer season's right after Halloween. I'm loading my pockets up with all the candy I'm stealing from my kids. You know what I'm saying? That way, if I get lost and nobody can find me, at least I'll have some Laffy Taffy for a little while. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm doing. So from like, you know, I'm a chubby kid at heart. So from one chubby kid to another chubby kid, man, I can appreciate this guy's forethought. I really can. I really can. But Andrew's like, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? Look at verse 10. Jesus says, have the people sit down. This is amazing. Jesus says, have the people sit down. I don't know about you guys, but that's the type of moment that I want to live my life in. It, it really is. Where I'm watching Jesus and Jesus gets that look on his eyes like he's about to do something amazing. And Jesus tells me, just sit down, be quiet, and watch this. This, this is the moment I want to live my life in. So Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. So the question we have to ask ourselves about this miracle is, was this miracle important? Was it significant? Was it amazing? Was it astonishing because of how much bread Jesus made? Or was it amazing? Was it significant? What is it miraculous because of who he used to accomplish this miracle?
See, I believe Jesus looked around and he saw his 12 disciples. He saw adults. He saw leaders. And he said, okay, we got this need. I'm not even going to use them to meet this need. Jesus looked around at 5,000 people. And he didn't say, man, there's, there's probably somebody else in there that I can use to meet this need. That, that's, not, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Jesus said, I'm going to use the least qualified person in this entire group to perform a miracle. I'm going to use the least likely person to do something amazing. I mean, think about that kid. Think about that kid. He leans over in his lunch box and he takes out those barley loaves. See folks, barley bread, barley bread was the bread of the poor people. When he pulled that food out, everybody would have known enough about him to make their own assumptions. When he pulled out that bread, they would have known exactly what side of the neighborhood he lived in. They would have known exactly where he was from. They would have known exactly that he was on financial assistance. They would have known exactly, this isn't a real smart kid. And so when that boy hands that barley loaf to the Lord, I can see the Lord actually looking that little boy right in the eye. And, and, and as Jesus takes that bread from the kid, he keeps looking at the boy and he holds that bread up to heaven and he says, thank you, Father, for this bread. And he breaks it. And when he breaks that bread, he actually has a piece bigger than the entire loaf the boy handed to him and he distributes it. And Jesus, again, is still looking at the boy and he breaks that bread again and he passes an even bigger piece and he breaks that bread again and he passes an even bigger piece. Again, the entire time, I can imagine Jesus looking this boy right in the eye. What happened to that boy? Man, I don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'll guarantee you that for the rest of his life, no matter where he was, no matter what room he was in, if somebody mentioned something about Jesus, it doesn't matter if it was a good thing or a bad thing or a correct thing. When somebody said Jesus' name, he said, I know him. I watched him do something great. I've seen him. He loves me. He used me to do something amazing. I can't help but think that that happened. From that moment forward. Why? Because that little boy, again, he gave those barley loaves to Jesus. And when he did that, he became a partner with God. He became a partner with God. By giving Jesus what he had, man, he set an incredible miracle in motion. So how do you and I set a miracle in motion? Let me give you three things if you want to write them down. The first one is this. If you want to set a miracle in motion, you need to understand that God has prepared you to be his partner. God has prepared you to be his partner. God has already made you, it doesn't matter who you are, no matter what circumstance you're, you're facing right now, no matter what situation... God has prepared you for this moment that you are in. He's prepared you for this moment. It's a deep theological idea that I like to call the karate kid concept. It's real deep. I'm sure they're teaching it in all the Christian universities and seminaries all around America and the world. But it's the karate kid. How many of y'all ever seen the movie The Karate Kid? Karate Kid? Yeah, man. I'm not talking about that new one with Will Smith's son. I'm talking about the original 1984. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, Halloween was this past week. You know what that means? That 35 years ago, Daniel was on his way home from a Halloween party when Cobra Kai members attacked him. It was real sad. It's a true story. But so Daniel's getting picked on. We got a picture right here. We got a picture of the movie. 
Daniel's getting picked on it. So what does he do, man? He goes to Mr. Miyagi. I need to know how to know karate. I need to know how to do some karate, right? So Mr. Miyagi's like, okay, I'll teach you karate. But first you've got to wax on, wax off. Daniel's like, uh, okay, wax on, wax off, right? But he wax on, wax, he gets finished, wax on, wax, hey, hey, you got to teach me karate. Okay, and so Mr. Miyagi's like, hey, before, before I teach you that, you just learned wax on, wax off. Now you got to paint the fence. Daniel's like, paint the fence. Anybody remember that movie? Paint the fence. And after, after he does that, Daniel's like, okay, I'll paint the fence. And after he paints the fence, you know what I'm saying? Mr. Miyagi's like, oh, now you got to sand the floor. Sand the floor. Sand, sand the deck. Sand, and, you know, so Daniel sounds like, okay, man. And so he, you know, he waxes on, he waxes off, he paints the fence, he, he sanding the floor, he's doing all this crazy stuff. He gets done. And so he's really frustrated. He's tired. He feels like he's been manipulated into doing all these things. And so he goes to Mr. Miyagi. He said, like, you're supposed to teach me karate. And he's really upset. And so Mr. Miyagi does something that Daniel's son wasn't expecting. Mr. Miyagi actually attacks Daniel. And because Daniel has been waxing on and waxing off and painting the fence and doing all this, he knows karate. He was prepared without even realizing he was prepared. Right? That's what happens. Well, folks, every bad thing you've ever experienced in your life, every victory that you have gone through, even in those moments where you thought God wasn't there, He was there and He was preparing you for this moment, this season in your life, for you to actually partner with Him to do something amazing. He's been preparing you all along to partner with him that's good preaching karate kid Amen. <laughs> but here's the deal he can use you that's what this miracle proves if he if he used this boy that's why that's why he picked this kid he's like i have authority over all of you and if you'll surrender to me, something amazing will happen. You'll become a partner with God. You can set a miracle in motion just by surrendering to Him. Again, He's prepared you to be His partner. The lie that most of us believe, though, is that God can't use me. God won't use me. Remember our default setting? Oh, it's just not, not going to happen. But that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. The truth is God has already again given you what he requires of you in this season of your life. He's prepared you to be his partner. Second thing that I want you to see from this passage and the, the way to set a miracle into motion is not only has God prepared you to be his partner, but God will stretch whatever you surrender. God will stretch whatever you surrender. You really need to let that sink in. Whatever it is that you surrender to God, he'll stretch it. He'll do something amazing with it. Now, how many of y'all know a kid? You know a kid? If you're not raising your hand, you don't get out enough, okay? I know there's some kids in that back. And y'all, some of y'all are like, well, my, my husband acts like a kid. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about like a real kid. How, how many, how many, have y'all ever looked in like a fourth grader's or third grader's book bag? Have you? Somebody said yes. It's really scary. I asked Sadie Kate this morning, this is Sadie Kate, my eight-year-old's book bag. I said, Sadie Kate, can I use your book bag uh, in, in my sermon this morning? You know, this, I'm for real, my eight-year-old said this. She said, yeah, Daddy, but you're probably going to want to clean it out. That's really what she said. Again, if you look in a book bag, 
Man, there's like crushed Yoo-Hoo's, melted candy, Rice Krispie wrappers, bologna sandwiches from like two years ago, water bills, parking tickets. You're like, how in the world does all that stuff even get in there, right? I mean, it's nasty. Here's what I want you to understand, though. All these people are following Jesus for days. And there's this little kid, fourth grade boy, fifth grade, uh, with his book bag, following Jesus. Smiling. This book bag is baking in the sun. It's baking in the sun. And then there's this need. Wait, we got to eat. And this boy opens up his book bag and he pulls out these barley loaves that are gross. He's like, oh, I got this, Jesus. And by the way, it's been wrapped in some nasty fish. You want to use this? So he hands it to Jesus. Jesus breaks it. And when he does, something beautiful happens. Listen to me. When you and I hold on to stuff, it gets stinky. That's why we have to give our kids to God. That's why we have to give our marriages to God. That's why we have to give our homes to God. That's why we have to give our finances to God. That's why we have to give God our hopes, our dreams, everything. We give it to Him because when you and I hang on to it, it gets stinky. But if you'll transfer it to Jesus and allow Him to break it, something beautiful will happen. The problem for so many of us is that we think God doesn't want what we have to offer. We think God wants something from somebody who's more talented than us. We think God wants something from someone who's more wealthy than us. We think God wants something from someone who's more put together than us. But the truth is, God wants what you have. And He wants it for reasons you probably don't understand. He wants it because He wants your heart. He loves the moment where just like in our story, that little boy took what he had and transferred it to Jesus. He loves that moment where you transfer what you have to Jesus because what he wants to do is break it and actually give you a bigger piece than what you gave him in the first place. Look at what happens in this passage. It's amazing. Verse 12 and 13 of John chapter 6. It says, when they had all eaten, when they had eaten enough, or when they all had enough to eat, I can't read, there we go. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. How many basketfuls are left? Twelve. Basketfuls. Twelve. Can you imagine that little boy in that moment looking at all the leftovers? Don't you know he tried to reach in that backpack and find a dollar and say, hey, can you do that with this, Jesus? Don't you know? He, why would he do that? Because God can do that. Why? Because he'll stretch whatever you surrender to him. You want to set a miracle in motion? You got you to gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand God's prepared you to be his partner. You gotta understand God will stretch what you surrender. What, what do you, what do you, have you ever, what do you, what do you guys worry about? Anybody ever worry? Anybody ever worry? I, I worry. You know what I worry about? I, I actually worry about our nation. I do. I worry about our nation. 
I worry about my finances. I worry about my health. I worry about my home. I worry about my wife. I worry about my kids. 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 Am I there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I've realized about worry? Worry is the result of me confusing my role and God's role. Worry is when I get confused about the role that I'm supposed to play. Worry is when I put myself in the role that I have to solve all the problems. And when I do that, that's when worry gets out of control in my life. Worry happens when I feel like I have to be the miracle worker. When I do that, that's when I live a life of worry. What's really amazing about this miracle and what really should be freeing to you and to me about this miracle is that there was only one person performing the miracle. Who was it? It was Jesus. It was God. He is the miracle worker. And that brings me to the last thing that I want you to see. If you want to set a miracle in motion, the last thing you've got to understand is that God will do the hard work if you'll do the humble work. God will do the hard work if you'll do the humble work. You know what the disciples did in this story? All they did was pick up the leftover pieces. They didn't do anything that was super spectacular. That's not what they did. They just served. Well, here's the thing about everything in your life and in my life that might cause us to worry. All the things that you and I worry about, you know what the thing that we've got to realize is? We know the miracle worker. We know the one who can change our country. We know the one who can change our homes. We know the one who can change our kids. We know the ones who can heal our marriage. We know the ones who can perform miracles, and he still performs miracles today. Jesus has not retired. He's still in the miracle working business. I'm telling you, if we'll do the humble work, God will do the hard work. The actual miracle is not up to us. The only thing that's up to us is taking what we have and placing it in Jesus' hands. And once we do that, then we just like the disciples in our story and everybody else, we get to sit back with great anticipation of what God is about to do. And when God blesses us in that moment, and that blessing comes by, yeah, we, we can take some, but we don't hold on to it all. Because if we do that, we, we rob the next person of, of a blessing. We, we, we take a little, and then we watch can God continue to bless those around us. See, here's the deal. My hope for you, my hope for my kids, my hope for everybody, is that we have a moment, just like that little boy, where we're a foot away from Jesus. Where we're a foot away from Jesus and He extends His hand trying to take what we're offering Him from our hand. And we pass it to Him. And, and we, get to get, we get to be just like that little boy who's looking up at Jesus as He's doing this amazing thing. We get to watch it happen, watch Jesus do it, and we get to say, wow, man, I was there. 
Wow, God used me. Wow, God used what little I gave him. He stretched what I surrendered to him. We get to watch God do amazing things again because we were willing to surrender to him. You want to see a miracle happen in your life? You got to surrender what you have to him. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But maybe you walked in here this morning and there are a lot of things that got you worried. There are a lot of things that you're trying to figure out how to work out and you're just not going to be able to do it because you're not the miracle worker. But I'm telling you, you know the miracle worker. It's Jesus. So if you'd say, today, Pastor, would you pray for me as I let some things go? As I let some things go and let God do what only He can do. If you know that you need some help with that and you say, Pastor, pray for me right where you are. I'm just going to ask that you lift your hand. Amen. 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 A lot of hands. Father, I pray for these who've raised their hands indicating that there's some things that they know they need to give to you. There's some things they need to give to you so that you can do what only you can do. Father, there are people in this room who need a miracle. And God, you still perform them. So I pray, Father, as we're obedient to give you what we have, Father, I pray that you would amaze us with what you do. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But maybe you walked in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You walked in here and you've been trying to control your own life. You walked in here and you've been trying to live for yourself. You walked in here not thinking about anybody in this world but you and you're making a mess of your life it's stinky but today you realize you know what I need to give Christ my heart I need to give Christ my life I need to give Christ my all I promise you if you will actually do that God will do something beautiful. He'll make you into a completely new person. Not a better version of the old you, a completely new person. And so if you know today that you want to be saved, you know today you want to surrender to Him, right where you are, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer. Father, today, I need you to save me from my sin, to save me from myself, to save me from the mess of my life that I have made. And so again, I surrender to you. I confess you this morning as Lord. I confess you as Savior. And I pray today that from this moment on, I will follow you with all of my heart. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder today if you pray to receive Christ, if you'll do me a favor, just right where you are, If you prayed to surrender to him and give him your heart and life, would you just raise your hand so I can know that God's moving? Amen. 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 Father, we thank you that you love us so much you sent your son to die for us. And we thank you that we serve a God who is a miracle-working God. We serve a God who can do all things. 
So, Father, I pray today that each and every one of us truly would surrender to you, that we would transfer what we have out of our hands and place it in yours so that we really can set miracles in motion. Father, we know you'll do it. You will do it. And so we're thankful. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.